Welcome to Sunday Sermons and other recordings from the Unitarian Universalist Church of Davis, California. Please visit our website at www.uudavis.org for further information. Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Davis. My name is Alex Hader-Winnett. I am your campus minister for this year. Hello, and I am the Reverend Renwa Hamami. I am the Executive Director of the Unitarian Universalist Justice Ministry of California, and it is a joy to be here with you again this morning. Welcome to this sacred place A place where we know that you need not think alike to love alike. Where we know that the questions we share are key to our growing. This is a community where we know it takes everyone to make everyone free. Regardless of whom you love and where you come from, you are welcome here. Whether you are pagan, Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, Muslim, atheist, none of the above, or something else entirely, you are welcome here where we know that the things that make you special are both visible and invisible, and all are valued here. Here we strive to cultivate the spirit and to serve one another in our search for justice, and we welcome you. If this is your first time here, we hope you will stop by our welcome table so we can get to know you a little bit better. Here you will find a community of caring and sharing. And in your printed bulletin, which is blue, you will find much, much more information about the programs of this church. There are many ways to get involved, and and we hope you will join us in creating community together. To acknowledge all that is being held by the people in this room, We light one pillar candle for the sorrows of the world, for the moments that weigh heavily on our hearts and minds. And we light a second pillar candle for the joys of the world, for the moments of hope and celebration we share together. Come, friends, let us worship together. We light this chalice, symbol of our faith with these words. We light this chalice with the hope that we, too, may find a container for all of who we are, a holy chalice, able to hold our courage and our fear, our gifts and our flaws, our joy as well as our pain. May we glimpse again what it means to be whole. May we find that peace of knowing that no part of us needs to hide. Our Time for All Ages is adapted from The Gift of Strawberries, a chapter in Robin Wall Kimmerer's Braiding Sweetgrass. And it's a story about a young girl named Robin. Robin lived in the countryside of New York State and was a member of the citizen Potawatomi Nation, a tribe of people who live in what we now call Oklahoma. Robin, 
this little girl loved strawberries. And not just any strawberries, wild strawberries. She loved to eat them. And she loved to pick them and watch them grow in the fields by her house. Every day in the spring and summer, Robin would go out to the strawberry fields to watch them grow. First as those little white flowers with a yellow center, then as a tiny green nub, then as a small white berry, and finally, after weeks of watching, into a small red strawberry about the size of a nickel. When the strawberries were ripe enough to eat, Robin and her siblings would eat as many of them as they could, and then bring some home to their parents, who also loved to eat wild strawberries. In fact, Robin's father loved wild strawberries so much that every Father's Day, Robin's mother would make him homemade strawberry shortcake using those wild strawberries Robin and her siblings would bring back from the fields. Robin's father would tell her this was the best gift he could ever receive. Who knows why? <coughs> Shout it out. From her heart. From her heart. From nature. From nature. I'll take one more. A gift of love. A gift of love. All, all correct. Robin said that these were all, Robin's father said that these were all things that you couldn't get from a store. He couldn't get those wild strawberry shortcake bites from anywhere but the gifts that were given from the fields, the gifts of love, attention, and care that Robin and her siblings and her mother gave in making that strawberry shortcake possible. Well, Robin was still really curious about the strawberries and how they grow in the fields. When the summer was over, she watched as the strawberry plants would grow and grow small red vines to find new places to spread and grow. I know, right? She was so excited seeing these vines, she would actually dig a pathway for them, making it easier for them to spread throughout the fields. And guess what happened? Even more plants grew. New plants, new strawberries, more strawberries. So Robin and her family had more strawberries they could eat, more strawberry shortcake, and every summer, the same thing happened. She would go, dig new places for those vines to, to stretch, and more strawberries would happen. She would dig some more places, and more strawberries would happen. And so Robin realized something with those summers in the strawberry fields. She was giving back to the strawberry plants. She accepted their gifts of delicious wild strawberries every year. And in return, she would grow them. New, she would help them grow in new places. Robin realized that she and the strawberries had an ongoing relationship with each other. They each gave gifts to each other. And because of that, both grew happy, healthy, and strong. And now we will sing off any of our children and youth to religious exploration.
This is uh, an excerpt from Dr. Robin Wall Kimmerer's The Gift of Strawberries from the book Braiding Sweetgrass, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teaching of Plants. Strawberries first shaped my view of a world full of gifts simply scattered at your feet. A gift comes to you through no action of your own, free, having moved toward you without your beckoning. It is not a reward, you cannot earn it, or call it to you, or even deserve it, and yet it happens. Your only role is to be open-eyed and present. Gifts exist in a realm of humility and mystery. As with random acts of kindness, we do not know their source. Those fields of my childhood showered us with strawberries, raspberries, blackberries, hickory nuts in the fall, bouquets of wildflowers brought to my mom, and family walks on a Sunday afternoon. They were our playground, retreat, wildlife sanctuary, ecology classroom, and the place where we learned to shoot tin cans off the stone wall. All for free. Or so I thought. I experienced the world in a time as a gift economy. Goods and services not purchased, but received as gifts from the earth. Of course, I was blissfully unaware of how my parents must have struggled to make ends meet in the wage economy raging far from the field. In our family, the presents we gave each other were almost always handmade. I thought that was the definition of a gift. Piggy banks made from Clorox bottles, hot pads from broken clothespins, and puppets from retired socks. My mother says it was because we had no money for store-bought gifts. It didn't seem like a hardship to me. It was something special. Robin Wall Kimmerer's stories from her childhood book had me, from her childhood in her book, they had me thinking about my childhood. And I thought I was a really smart kid. Turns out I was a little bit of a brat. <laughs> but I still learned some things about giving, and nowadays, looking back, I realized I was learning things that I didn't even realize at the time. One of the things that I remember from my childhood was going to what I would call Islamic Sunday school, where I would go and I would take classes on the Islamic traditions, on Muslim history, in Arabic and on the Holy Quran. And part of that work was to memorize surahs or chapters of the Holy Quran. And I wasn't all that enthusiastic about it. I was the kid that sat in the back of the classroom and tried to hide and refuse to memorize those surahs. However, despite my most obstinate efforts, some of them stuck. And one of those surahs is actually one that many Muslims know by heart because it is frequently said multiple times a day. 
as part of our daily prayers, as part of different ritual moments in life and following death. That surah is one you may know called Al-Fatiha, or the opening. Has anybody heard of this surah? Okay, got a couple hands. Loosely translated, this chapter, this surah of the Quran says, in the name of God, the most compassionate and most merciful, all praise is due to you, God, the holy, merciful, and most compassionate, sovereign of the day of judgment. It is you alone we worship, and from you alone we ask for help. Guide us onto the straight path, the path of those upon whom you have bestowed your grace, and not the path of those who have gone astray. While I have had this surah memorized for over 30 years now, I didn't really understand the deeper meaning of this chapter until I started seminary. It was while I was in seminary that my Islamic studies professor and advisor introduced me to this concept of taqwa, concept that features prominently in Surah Al-Fatiha. And like any good concept in any language, taqwa has many translations and interpretations. Some translate it to consciousness or mindfulness of God some to knowledge of God or piety, and some translate it to fear of God. I know that last one can be a little off-putting, but there's an Islamic theologian, Fazlur Rahman, who explains that fear, in that sense, it isn't the kind of fear we have when something threatens us. That fear is actually the fear of the consequences of our actions whether we experience them in this world or the next, whether others experience them in our absence. That fear of God or that fear of the consequences of our actions, it comes from an acute sense of responsibility, an acute sense of our relationship to this world and to each other. To be a person with great taqwa is to be someone who is fully conscious of what it is we receive, whether or not we ask for it, to be fully conscious of what we are connected to, to be fully conscious of what supports us, what surrounds us, what is even beyond our control or understanding, and yes, is even greater than us. And to be a person of great taqwa is to be fully conscious of what we are responsible for and the impact of our actions in light of all of those gifts, connections, and relationships. It's a lot of words, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a visual. Uh, it's actually a visual that my Islamic studies professor described uh, taqwa as looking like. Imagine a vertical plane and a horizontal plane. For those of you who are having flashbacks to junior high math, I apologize. Vertical plane, that one is the plane on which we remain aware of and grateful for all the gifts that we receive. Grateful for that divine presence, that loving spirit within and beyond us. Love, spirit, nature, God. That awareness. And that horizontal plane, 
is the one in which our relationships with others and our world embody this awareness, embody our gratitude. So one needs both that vertical plane of awareness and that horizontal plane of embodiment to be a person of great taqwa. Now I recognize that not a lot of us were raised in the Muslim traditions, and so, and some of us may have discomfort with this idea of a vertical and horizontal plane. So I'll give you another image, one that is not only more UU friendly, but UU inspired, an interconnected and interdependent web of life. Imagine yourself as one nodule, one point of intersection on that web of relationships. Taqwa, for us, that mindfulness, that consciousness, and yes, that fear is an awareness of and gratitude for our place in the web of gifts and relationships, our place in a web sustained and strengthened by what we give to one another. Among one of those gifts is one that you use love, one that we sang about, the gift of reason. The capacity to know the difference between what is just and unjust, and the capacity to choose between what is right and wrong. Taqwa is knowing that we have that gift of reason, that gift of choice, and therefore the ability and responsibility to act on them. So with that gift of reason, whatever your beliefs are of their source, there also comes the ability and responsibility to know when our choices have violated our relationships. Our relationships with each other, our relationships to what we hold most sacred. I'm not going to give you that laundry list of what we have seen or experienced today about some of those relationships that have been violated. They're real, they're in our headlines, they're in our hearts. But even so, if we can maintain this mindfulness, this awareness, this fear of our consequences of our actions, this responsibility, we can always choose to come back to right relationship. We can always come back to a relationship of gratitude reciprocity, and shared mutual responsibility. Taqwa doesn't just sound like an interconnected, interdependent web of life. It also sounds like another UU uh, oh, I gave you a spoiler, UU concept to me. Anybody want to guess now that I gave you a spoiler? You heard it. UU covenant, yay! Taqwa is a form of covenant and what it means to remember our covenant and what it means to embody our covenant. So what is our covenant with the earth, with people, with the gifts we receive without ever asking for them? The gifts that we thought were free, but in our understanding of our interconnected, interdependent web, we know are not. How do we live out in understanding that what we receive isn't ours to take, but ours to share and give back? Do we even have that understanding anymore? 
We have another reading from Robin Wall Kimmerer as we explore that question. In the old times, when people's lives were so directly tied to the land, it was easy to know the world as a gift. When fall came, the skies would darken with flocks of geese honking, here we are. It reminds the people of the creation story when the geese came to save Sky Woman. The people are hungry. Winter is coming and the geese fill the marshes with food. It is a gift and the people receive it with thanksgiving, love, and respect. But when food does not come from a flock in the sky, when you don't feel the warm feathers cool in your hand to know that life has been given for yours, there is no gratitude in return, that food may not satisfy. It may leave the spirit hungry while the belly is full. Something is broken when the food comes on a styrofoam tray wrapped in slippery plastic, a carcass of being of a being whose only chance at life was in a cramped cage. That, <clears throat> that is not a gift of life. It is theft. How in our modern world can we find our way to understand the earth as a gift again, to make our relations with the world sacred again? I know we cannot all become hunter-gatherers. The living world could not bear our weight. But even in today's market economy, can we behave as if the living world were a gift? Robin Wall Kimmerer is a mother, a scientist, a decorated professor, and an enrolled member of the citizen Potawatomi Nation. She is a SUNY Distinguished Teaching Professor of Environmental Biology and the founder and director of the Center for Native, People, Native Peoples and the Environment. And her latest book, Braiding Sweetgrass, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teachings of Plants, weaves together her experiences as a botanist and her Potawatomi wisdom that plants and animals are our oldest teachers. It's a book that recognizes and names the realities of our world and that to choose a different way of being, we must learn and listen to the languages of other beings to appreciate the generosity of the earth and to begin to honor our reciprocal relationships, our covenants with them. And one of my favorite parts of this chapter was how she described that plethora of gifts she received in those fields of her childhood home, that she received them all for free, or so I thought. In that sentence and throughout the chapter, she reminds us that the true nature of a gift is that it is not free. Kimra writes that gifts from the earth and from each other establish a particular relationship an obligation of sorts to receive and to reciprocate. Just like in our time for all ages, when we were talking about those strawberries and those strawberry vines and roots, Robin gave back. She gave back to the strawberries by digging new places for them to grow. And they gave back growing new fruit. Robin and those strawberries had an ongoing relationship of gifts and giving in which they both grew and thrived. 
Dr. Kimmerer also makes a point of noting that purchasing strawberries in a market doesn't have the same nature. There's no relationship, there's no ongoing acknowledgement of our connection to those strawberries, no giving back to the plants whose gifts we, we turned into a profit. When strawberries are commodified, we lose our relationship to them and to the people who cultivated them. And this morning, I got to experience a little bit of a gift exchange myself when it came to the song that we all learned today by Sarah Lynch Thomason, where I provided the lyrics in a YouTube link, and your wonderful accompanist came up with the sheet music for it so that we could have accompaniment to it. That's a gift that keeps giving, and I'm going to ask for those, those sheet music pieces afterwards as well. And I received that song as a gift, too, and brought it to share. And in sharing, look, another gift. This happens every day, all the time in our lives. And Cameron reminds us, though, that a gift is something for nothing, except that certain obligations are attached. When we recognize our relationships, we can remember our obligations to whomever or whatever has shared their gifts with us. Kimmerer's reflections on those strawberry fields of her childhood, the relationship that I have with the songs of these movements, they teach us an important lesson about what makes a true gift. As Kimmerer writes, the fundamental nature of gifts is that they move and their value increases with their passage. The fields made a gift of berries to us and we made a gift of them to our Father. The more something is shared, she writes, the greater its value becomes. The gifts we receive, they are not ours to keep. They are our responsibility to share. And like our second reading states, Kimmerer acknowledges that this isn't an easy idea for us to grasp or embody in our world as it's been shaped today. These days, we all live in societies dominated by concepts like private property, dominion, ownership. Land belongs to a single person or corporation. Water is something to bottle and sell. Species of non-human animals are eradicated for the sake of human progress. In our property and commodity economy, Kimmerer writes, trespass and walls are expected and accepted, but are unacceptable in a gift economy where land is seen as a gift to all. She's more than simply naming how we have gotten out of right relationship with each other in our world. She's inviting us to transform our understanding of those relationships, because without this shift, we know. Without this willingness to name what we have lost in our sense of gratitude, without our naming and returning to covenant with our interdependent and interconnected web, we know we cannot change the course of this world. She writes, from the viewpoint of a private property economy, a gift is deemed to be free because we obtain it free of charge at no cost. But in the gift economy, gifts are not free. The essence of the gift is that it creates a set of relationships. The currency of a gift economy is at its root reciprocity. In Western thinking, private land is understood to be a bundle of rights. 
Whereas in a gift economy, property has a bundle of responsibilities attached. So these days, when I recite Surah Al-Fatiha, I recite it because it is a prayer to collectively change our path. I pray that we remember that we can and must choose a different path, a different way of being in the world. I pray that we no longer travel a path where we commodify, hoard, or waste the gifts we receive. I pray that we return to a path where we know that what we are given is to share, to return, and to grow for others. Today I've shared the words of Robin Wall Kimmerer, a member of the citizen Potawatomi Nation, shared a lot of them, because they are prophetic words that our word world needs to hear over and over and over again. They are words that I need. They are words that offer a reality check and a hope that I need. And they are words that come from a wisdom that we have long forgotten, a wisdom that we have failed to listen to before, even belittled or vilified. We have lost our way as a society. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. But I will add some sugar. We can find it again. We can remember a different way. We can choose a different way. We are at a turning place in our world, whether we like it or not. And even if it feels like we are hurtling towards a particular direction, we can slow our momentum. We can choose a different path. There are ways that we can do that. I will happily talk with you after the service about them as the executive director of your UU Justice Ministry of California. But know this, we can choose to remember our relationships to each other and to our world. Our faith calls us to act on our moral obligation to honor and share the gifts we receive because only in sharing them Will they continue to grow? Friends, let us join together in a moment of stillness and reflection we call prayer and meditation. Spirit of love, life, and justice, you who go by many names, we acknowledge your presence with us as you are always with us. We give thanks for this chosen community for the right to worship together as we see fit, for the ways that our faith calls us into understanding the world. We give thanks for the wisdom found in the babbling of babies, in texts both new and old, and for the memories of our elders. We bring attention to those among us who are sick 
ailing or have died. Jeanette Robertson's sister, Virginia Klein, died of a massive stroke in Arkansas last week. Jeanette appreciates your caring thoughts. We recognize that small voice within us that calls us to act with courage, grace, and strength. We pray for our leaders, both elected or religious alike, that they serve with faith, love, and covenant to work for more justice and mercy in this world. We bring our minds to the border, to families, refugees, who have sought safety and have only experienced more violence. We pray that justice prevails and that we work with more grace. And we give thanks for the gifts of this earth. Even in this time of relative scarcity, when the soil is cold and nights are long, we give thanks for all that we receive. For the silver rain and the promise found in the sprouting seed. May we give back in a relationship of reciprocity. Now, friends, let us share those prayers that we have brought on our hearts and minds in a time of communal prayer and reflection. <clears throat> Holy One, for all the prayers spoken and those that remain in the silent sanctuary of our hearts, we give thanks and praise in your many sacred names. Amen, Ashe, and blessed be. And we extinguish one pillar candle for the sorrows that we have brought and that we share and hopefully lessen through the power of community. And we extinguish one pillar candle for the joys that we have brought and that have hopefully multiplied through being together. And we extinguish the chalice, the symbol of our faith, but not the warmth of community, the beauty of love, or the light of justice. May it serve in, as a beacon in our hearts until we return again. And now, friends, please rise in body and or spirit as we sing once again More Waters Rising by Sorrow Lynch Thomason. Beloveds, gifts to one another, gifts from this precious earth. This I know. We can rebuild. We can return. We can remember our covenant to the earth and to one another. And we can transform this planet into one rooted in reciprocity, rooted in gratitude, 
rooted in love. And the people say, Amen.